The following message is part of Cleveland First Baptist Church's Sunday morning Bible study series through the Book of Romans. The title of our, our lesson this morning is called Insufficient. It comes from Romans chapter 2. It starts in, in verse 17. Uh, Paul is writing to the church at Rome, and he's been talking about uh, in last week's lesson, he talked about sin and some things that was going on that wasn't right. And here in chapter two, uh, he's going. He's, he's looking at the, uh, some things that the the Jews and how they uh, took the law and and rev- uh, used it and to give them basically like a false security. Uh, John MacArthur titled this section of Scripture and his commentary of false security. And I thought that was fitting for our current situation that we're in right now when we think about what's going on around us. We're worried about our health security. We're worried about job security. We're worried about economic security, many other things. And when people bother to even think about it, they might also think about eternal security. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. You know, Paul's been talking about God's judgment of sin. And as Rick talked about on Wednesday night in a Bible study, though, he, just previous to, to this scripture, he gives us verse 16. He says, this is the message I proclaim that, they, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. And as Rick pointed out Wednesday night, Remember, it's through Christ Jesus. When we have Christ in our lives, uh, he paid the penalty for our sin. He paid the price, that covering that covers the sin. And so, but today we want to go into verse, start with verse 17, and we want to look at what Paul has to say to the Jews uh, about some of these things. So he begins in verse 17. Uh, he says, Now if you call yourself a Jew... And rely on the law and boast in God, and know his will and approve the things that are superior being instructed from the law. Uh, as Paul begins this, he's, he's going to point out the hypocrisy of calling oneself a Jew, but not living according to God's covenant. Uh, the, the chosen people of God took great pride in being in the name of being called Jews. In centuries past, they had been called Hebrews, but by the time of Christ, the most common name they had was being called the Jewish people. And he tells us here, he says, you rely on God's law, and they would rely on that law to validate their unique position with him. They would boast about their special relationship with him. Now, Paul reminds them that they, that they know, you know, they know the law, they know his will, they know that he wants them to do what is right because they've been taught it. But most of the Jews of that day were proud and self-righteous about their heritage and had come to rely upon their knowledge of the law and their boasting in the name as a means of satisfying the Lord. And what we find is they felt content with merely knowing God's law, but they had little desire or motivation to obey it. And that's what Paul is pointing out in this scripture. They knew much, but they obeyed little. Now you think about how about us today? 
how does that apply to the church? Uh, do we consider ourselves safe from God's judgment simply because we have been born into a Christian family? We've been have we been baptized, or do we belong to a church, or have we made a profession of faith? You know, if we was to go out here and talk to somebody on the street, we could probably find ten people. Every one of them would tell them, "Oh yeah, I'm a Christian." You know, I I was baptized at Cleveland First Baptist twenty years ago. Never mind, I've not been back. You know, or or bothered. My, oh well, I'm sorry. You come back for Easter and Christmas, maybe. Um. You know, some people consider themselves Christians by default. Just because they live in, in Cleveland, Alabama, in Blount County, uh, we're all Christians, right? Just because we were born here. It's kind of what the Jews done with the law. They thought because they had the law, they were God's chosen people. That's all they needed. And that was the problem Paul is pointing out. It was insufficient. It gave them a false security uh, now the Jews did know the law we can't fault them for that they, they knew what it said their problem was they were adding to it and they didn't want to obey parts of it uh, he continues on in verse 19 it says and if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, having the embodiment of knowledge and truth in the law. You know, the Jews not only felt secure in what they knew, but also in what they taught. They thought they were the ultimate Sunday school teacher, the ultimate preacher. You know, they thought themselves to be the most confident teachers of the spiritually unwise. Namely, of course, they were talking about Gentiles when they, they talked about spiritually unwise. They believed Gentiles were unable to see the truth of God because they were not part of his chosen people. You know, God did intend Israel to be a light for people who were lost in darkness. The problem was the Jews weren't using it in the way God had intended. You know, Paul makes the point here about this, you know, them being a guide for those that are blind, a light to those in darkness. You know, the problem, the Jews viewed others as ignorant and immature, that they needed an instructor and a teacher. But Jews considered even the wisest Gentile foolish in the area of religion. They didn't think that someone that was not a Jew could teach in this area. Uh, they believed they were the embodiment of knowledge and truth in the law. And the Jews did indeed, through the law, have the revelation of divine knowledge and truth. But their understanding, their teaching, and exemplifying of it had become so encrusted with all kinds of other traditions that God's true law had generally become unknown and disregarded. And I think the lesson for us today is, as a church, we can't let that happen to ourselves. Because so many times you hear people say, well, I think the Bible says this. Or, or so-and-so told me one time. I heard such and such say this about the Bible. We can't do that, folks. We've got to read it for ourselves. We have to know what God's Word says. We can't rely on somebody else to teach, to, to tell, to, to speak for us. We have to read it and pray over it and know it. Paul continues on in verse 21. He says, You then who teach another, don't you teach yourself? 
You who preach, you must not steal. Do you steal? You who say you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you rob temples? So here in these, these two scriptures, Paul starts bringing his point to bear. If they were such exemplary people that they could teach another, perhaps they really needed to teach themselves. Now, Paul's really starting to, uh, to uh, again, make his point here and, and irritate the, the ones he's, he's, the Jews he's writing to because, you know, they felt like they were these ultimate teachers, but he says, you need to teach yourself. He contends that their understanding and teaching not only fell far short of God's law, but they themselves are disobeying it. Their preaching reflects right doctrine, but their living does not reflect the right practice. They basically do not practice what they taught. Now, Paul might not necessarily accuse them of stealing. In verse 21, he talks about this. He might not necessarily accuse them of actual stealing. His point was to challenge whether they were being consistent between what they advocated and what they actually practiced. And also in verse 22, they might not have committed the actual physical act of adultery, but Jesus had, had taught that you don't have to. Jesus taught anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus had raised the bar, and so they might not have committed the actual physical act, but he said, uh, do, you, do you do it, though, according to what Jesus had defined? He goes on in verse 23. You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? Far as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Uh, you know, the, again, the Jews were very proud of the law. Instead of treating the law as God's standard by which conduct was gauged, they had isolated it as a symbol of spiritual dominance. Many hypocritical Jews were blatantly breaking the law, the divine law they so proudly boasted in, and in doing so, they brought dishonor to God. You know, sin committed by those who claim God's name dishonors him the most. And that's what Paul is talking about here. You know, the principle applies even more strongly to the Christians today because we not only have a greater spiritual light through the New Testament, but have greater spiritual resources to obey that light because we have God's Holy Spirit dwelling in us. You know, when there's no difference between a, Christ, between a Christian standard of living and that of the world, the Lord's name will be blasphemed. The world has to see a difference between us and what everybody else does. You know, the... The unbeliever has no reason to repent of his sins and turn to God for salvation if he, if he sees professed believers committing the same things as he's doing. That's just, you know, we can't do that. And uh, in, our, in our book, the author made the statement, if the Jews of Paul's day were not living in a manner consistent with the scripture in which they boasted, the Gentiles would not only mock them, they would also disparage Israel's God. When Paul concluded this statement with a phrase, because of you, his finger of accusation pointed clearly towards their hypocrisy. 
because of what they were doing, it caused the name of God to be blasphemed. And the same would apply for us to us today as Christians. If we're doing things that others look at us and say, well, that's no different from what everybody else does. The world is going to see that. And so one of the questions our, our author, uh, at the end of this section, he asked, how would you evaluate your consistency in keeping God's word? And it really make, makes us stop and think as we go throughout our day, as we go, you know, uh, out and see other people and other people see us. How would we evaluate our consistency in keeping his word? And uh, I think it's a very good thing for us to think about as we, as we go about our days. Verse 25 says, Circumcision benefits you if you observe the law, but if you are a lawbreaker, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if an uncircumcised man keeps the law's requirements, Will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? A man who is physically uncircumcised, but who keeps the law, will judge you who are a lawbreaker in spite of having the letter of the law and circumcision. So what Paul is starting to talk about in this in these scripture is the Jews were very proud of their religious heritage. And to them, circumcision was more than a ritual that identified them as part of God's covenant people. To them, it was a source of their spiritual vanity, though. Uh, you know, God had instituted circumcision as a mark of his covenant with Abraham and his descendants back in the Old Testament. But as important as circumcision was as an act of obedience to God and as a reminder of, of Jews of their covenant relation to him, the right had no spiritual power. It has value, Paul explains, only if you practice the law, that is, live in obedience to his will. But the Jews were using it as, oh, you know, I've been circumcised, so I've, that's good enough. Uh, you know, a Jew who continually transgressed God's law proved that he had no more saving relationship to God than a pagan Gentile. And, of course, the Jews always referred to those Gentiles as the uncircumcised. Uh, in verse 27, Paul makes the point that the substance of pleasing God is obedience to his will, of which circumcision is but a symbolic reminder. You know, sincerely keeping the requirements of the law because it is God's will is of great value, whereas circumcision without obedience is of absolutely no value and that was the point Paul was making to these Jewish people um, and in our last section of scripture Paul concludes this section it's called a heart recognized now he says for a person who is not a, not a Jew who is one outwardly and true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh on the contrary a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, by the Spirit, not the letter. That person's praise is not from people, but from God. You know, Paul is arguing that the true member of the covenant family was not someone who seemed to be a Jew outwardly. Neither appearance nor adherence to any kind of religious tradition marked the genuine Jew. 
Unfortunately, those people had wrapped themselves in styles of worship and dietary habits, and especially this mark of symbolism, this symbolism of circumcision, but they were missing the point. The true mark of God's child is not this outward symbol, but a godly condition of the heart. You know, his people demonstrate a circumcision of the heart. This kind of spiritual condition results from the work of the spirit rather than the efforts of the flesh. And, you know, it's the same for us today as Christians. We can't change what people think. We can't change the way people act. But what we, what we need are changed hearts. We have to have, and it's, it's, it's going to be something that God does, his spirit working in their lives to change those hearts of people. That's how you get people to change. Uh, someone whose heart has been changed by God's spirit desires more than just meeting the minimal requirements of the law. This true Jew desires to please God by keeping his word with all their heart. And I think so many times that's kind of our mentality nowadays is you want to do just enough to get by. We don't want to do any extra, do we? But, uh, you know, if God's spirit lives in us, if we've had that changed heart, I think we should have the desire to want to, to do the extra, to read his word, to spend time in his word, to want to draw closer to him, to know him better. And when we have a changed heart, we seek praise from God and not from people. It's what Paul tells us here at the end of <clears throat> verse 29 and there's no greater praise will be possible than to hear what the father says as Jesus said in Matthew 25 well done my good and faithful servant you know we don't need the praise of other people we need the praise from God and so uh, I would just encourage you to to Remember, as, the, as Paul has talked about here, uh, as, he, as we uh, looked at this being things that are insufficient, we just want to be encouraged that, uh, that Jesus is, is, our, is our Savior and uh, we can put our trust in Him. We're facing very difficult times right now times that a lot of we've not seen before. But we just have to remember that God is in control. He is still on his throne. And we just have to pray for wisdom as we go through this together. Let's have a word of prayer.